well, welcome Marianne Hamilton, who has been crowned Miss Senior Italy Universe, is a Senior Games Ambassador and has an exceptional athletic career behind her. Despite not innately being athletic, Marianne has over 30 gold medals in race walking and has completed eight marathons and is a co-administrator for the US Power Walking Association. Today's podcast, we will discuss Marianne's journey from lifelong journalist to recently recovering from breast cancer. So hello, Marianne, welcome. Um, let's start with you talking about the beginning of your uh, career um, and your journalism. Thanks, Rosario. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm really honored to be part of your podcast. Um, you're seeing my husband sneak up the stairs behind me. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, let's see. I think that my journalism career actually started when I was about 12 years old. Uh, my, my family was all um, a family of writers. My mother wrote for radio and television advertising when I was growing up. And before that, she was uh, she wrote for radio programs in the, in the early days of, of, of um, advertising. And um, it just never occurred to me that people didn't, you know, play word games at the kitchen table at nighttime, or we didn't, you know, all play Scrabble or, or things like that, or do crossword puzzles. That was just kind of what happened in my house. And I always, always loved writing. I, I was terrible, terrible at math. Um, just don't have that part of my brain wired at all. But um, words and sentences and diagramming sentences always came really easily to me. And I've always loved writing stories and, and writing. So. Um, I think that I sort of fell into it when I was about uh, in my late 20s, actually. I was working for a branch of the California state government for the, the DMV, where you get your driver's licenses, um, which was not the greatest job, <laughs> but it was, it was fine. It was fine. And um, anyway, my, my boss sort of recognized that I could put words together, and he had me writing some things for the, for the corporate newsletter. Um, that would go out to uh, you know drivers in, in the area, and um, that was sort of a launching pad. And I was able to amass a variety of, of sort of casual writing samples. And then suddenly, I was able to go to an advertising and PR firm and say, "Here's what I've done," and and get a job um, as an editor, and then a copywriter, and then uh, eventually as a journalist, uh, writing for magazines and newsletters and uh, newspapers. And I've been doing that uh, pretty much my entire life. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And that's really interesting. And I love the fact that your family uh, influenced that skill of being a writer and, and your kind of your magic uh, power with words. Um, so you started in journalism and looking at all of the amazing things that you've done in your life. Um, and we'll come to those later. How did you get to those points and what kind of made you go, I love journalism and this is like, this is my career, but I'm going to do loads of other things. And um, I guess my main question to start with is what was the next step for you? Oh gosh. Um, I think the next step was really realizing in my late thirties, early forties that, um, you know, I've been sort of focusing on, you know, the side of my brain where the words grew out of and, and, and all the writing, but I hadn't really paid much attention to my physical self. And I had grown up feeling very, very um, unathletic. I was, you know, 
quite heavy and I had acne and glasses and had all those kinds of things that the, you know, you don't normally associate with a, you know, a world-class athlete. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I was a bookworm. I, I loved reading. I, there was nothing better for me than getting a big giant peanut butter jelly sandwich and a Nancy Drew book and, you know, sitting out in the backyard and, <laughs> and consuming both, you know, um, in the summertime. So um, I just never, ever, thought about doing anything physical. And um, sometime in about that point in my life, late 30s, early 40s, um, I think running was starting to take over in California. That was becoming quite a popular sport because it was something that, you know, most people could do with just basically a pair of, of tennis shoes. And even before the advent of really, you know, technical shoes. Um, and so um, I thought, well, maybe I could give that a try. And this, I'm going to compress this very, very long story. But uh, I did find that I was able to, you know, you know run around the, the neighborhood. And, you know, I was huffing and puffing and having a really rough time of it. But um, over time, I thought, well, this is something that's that's doable in my wheelhouse. And and then I continued that. And, and I finally did my first 10K. And I really thought that I had conquered the world. It was just something that I never, ever envisioned myself doing. And when somebody actually handed me a medal, I mean, a little ribbon and said, you know, finisher, which everybody got in this race, um, I still thought I had done something, you know, enormous. <laughs> and that was kind of the beginning of, of taking care of the physical part of myself as well. And um, kind of in short order, then I started going to a gym and working out and got pretty, um, obsessive. <laughs> I, I tend to be a bit of a type A in, in some cases. And um, I just, you know, once, once you start exercising and you, and you start lifting weights and doing those kinds of things, you see, you know, a re response in your body pretty rapidly. And it was very fun. So like muscles and, you know, sinewy things that I had never envisioned of being a part of myself. So amazing. Um, that was kind of what set me course. Yeah. And um, how old are you when you started running? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I would say I was, fine. <laughs> I was probably in my late 30s. Yeah. Okay, and, cool. Um, you know, it's a lot of people. Brilliant. So um, from your running career, what brought you to, to race walking? Uh, yeah, good question. So um, as part of that obsession with getting fit, uh, I started um, going to the gym probably a little too often and lifting weights too too often. I was not allowing my body enough time to recover. And so I was lifting weights about six days a week, which I do not recommend. <laughs> I hope your listeners do not, you know, adopt this. Um, it made for some awesome muscles, but it uh, eventually tore a disc right out of my neck. And it wasn't that it hurt, it basically exploded. And um, I it was quite painful. I had to have um, that disc removed. <clears throat> and then I had my vertebrae fused together in my neck, um, which was a pretty, you know, horrible <laughs> mm. uh, recovery and mentally really hard when you're so used to and so addicted to being, you know, fit and, and exercising and to have the surgeon say, yeah, no more of that was just, you know, it was devastating for me. So uh, while I was recovering, I just started walking and then I started walking faster and I started walking much faster. And then um, long story short, uh, I happened to be at a, a women's networking group where this woman stood up and said she was going to do the Honolulu Marathon. And she wasn't, had, didn't have the typical runner's body. And I thought, wow, you know, and so I went to her, to her afterwards and talked to her about it. And she said, oh yeah, there's about 20 of us that are going, we're just going to walk it. 
So um, I started training with these ladies and I did my first marathon that year, which was about uh, seven months after this next surgery. And it was kind of a, a way to celebrate that I'd come through this, um, this injury and was still, still sort of okay. And um, then two of the ladies and I continued training together and we started walking faster and faster and faster. And we were doing a half marathon one day and then a guy walked up to us and said, Hey, you know, do you teach or train with so-and-so who trains the uh, Santa Cruz track club, this guy named Art Klein. And we said, uh, no, what are you talking about? He said, well, you know, he's, he's the race walking coach. And we said, well, what's that? <laughs> and he said, well, that's what you're doing. Um, and just it, race walking is actually a very, very natural sort of movement, even though it's actually an Olympic sport. If you walk and relax and let your body do what it's supposed to do, you will just basically race walk because uh, it's sort of a very natural way of moving yourself through space, through uh, forward. Mm-hmm. And so um, I did, in fact, contact uh, this gentleman, Art Klein, who is the uh, track coach in Santa Cruz, and started training with him. And then subsequently, I also connected with a couple of other Olympic race walkers, and they helped me to perfect my technique and then started competing. And lo and behold, <laughs> uh, the medal started appearing, which was, again, something that I never, ever envisioned could possibly happen in my life. And, and it really... Um, was was pretty wonderful. <laughs> was That's pretty amazing, exciting. especially Absolutely. at that age. So, I would buy, yeah. so, so how old are you? That when was you... Well into my... Yeah, no, sorry. So you just answered yeah. my question. You're well into your forties by that point. Um, and mm-hmm. just going back a little bit, slightly to that addiction to sports and exercise and, and physical activity. <laughs> what was it? The neck, the neck injury that kind of made you recognize actually this is a bit obsessive. And did you re- realize that? Um, you were obsessed with weightlifting whilst you were doing it or is it something that you kind of connect to now later in that you look back? Yeah, it was certainly something that I think, you know, the hindsight is twenty twenty. I realized that I was, um, you know, I, I had some uh, probably some food issues as well. I was, you know, I, I was not eating, you know, properly and, and I was uh, having been you know, pretty heavy growing up, I was then sort of going the other way. And, and I had some, um, you know, I think some food issues for sure. And so um, looking at it all now, it's very clear to me that I was, um, you know, (laughs) I wasn't doing the things that I needed to do. And I was, I was focused on the things that I thought were going to make me thin and, you know, more attractive and all those kinds of things that women suffer with, especially at that age. Um, as, as we're getting into our thirties and forties. And now that I'm well past that, <laughs> um, and I've been through, you know, other things, I am just very, very grateful to be alive and I'm happy to be able to work out if I can do it, you know, three or four days a week. I think that's a, you know, a real accomplishment particularly given the kind of schedule that I have. Sure. Yeah. No. So for the people that are listening and are watching, um, if you don't mind sharing your age with us so that we can get a better idea as to kind of how much you have accomplished and, and looking at that from that perspective. I don't mind sharing at all. I'll actually be 69 this year. Amazing. So I'm getting, looking at 70 next year. I can't keep, I'll be 70 next year. I'll be 70 next year. I can sort of wrap my brain around that ahead of time. So it's not sneaking up on me and scaring me. When it yes. Yeah. I don't think you have anything to be scared of. You're very, very fit and <laughs> very attractive and very healthy. So you have a lot of years ahead of you. Um, so you've done that. You started this race walking career, um, something you never imagined that you would do. Um, and then you've kind of 
become more engaged and involved within the sports industry um, and um, within like direct the director of um, is it the National Senior Games? Yeah. Yes. Or, uh, yeah. Race walking and power walking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say with that, um, what made you kind of go for that and direct? Is it personal experience and saying actually I can do this really well, or the passion for for the industry or? Well, sort of all of the above. I think it goes back with that, you know, being a little bit of a type A. Um, when I get into something, I, I sort of tenderly get into it. <laughs> and and I like to I like to connect with the people that make things happen. And and I think it's it goes with being um, sort of an inveterate volunteer. Um, I'm I'll go, well, you know, do you need some help? Can I help you out? And in most cases, those folks are extremely grateful to have somebody to assist them in some capacity. And, um, you know, the more that you do, the more people give you to do. Um, so if you prove that you can honor your commitments and and uh, make things happen and you have enthusiasm and passion, I think um, people are very, very happy to uh, get you involved in whatever it is that they're doing. So um, when my husband and I moved here to Utah seven years ago, <clears throat> We had been competing in the Huntsman World Senior Games here for three years by that time, and we just fell in love with Utah. It's just a spectacular, beautiful place. And uh, we got to know the race directors of the race walking and power walking events. And same thing, we said, you know, hey, you know, if you need some help, we'll be happy to volunteer, blah, blah, blah. And three years later, we were the, <laughs> the co-directors of the events. Uh, surprise, surprise. And uh, from that, then we were sort of tapped to... Um, fulfill the same capacity in the national senior games and those take place every other year in in the united states at various cities and uh it's a huge huge wonderful series of athletic events for anybody who's over 50. yeah so we actually um recently had kyle on the podcast um so he's been sharing all the exciting things about the uh, world senior games um so moving on uh, to your miss italy universe career what is miss it uh, sorry miss senior italy universe what what's that about because i mean in the uk yes there is um a level of pageants but i don't think it's as big as it is in the u that it is in the US but also I think a lot of people listening wouldn't even know that there is a competition for people over the age of 50 or 60. Exactly um, and this is actually an interesting connection through my um, attendance at the National Senior Games a few years back I was there um, getting all you know picking my packet getting all registered signed in and there was this lovely woman there and she was wearing a sash and a crown and it said um, Miss Senior Utah and she's over there in um, we were in Ohio I think or I'm sorry, we're in Minnesota. And I thought, wow, um, didn't know there was a Miss Senior Utah and I lived there. And so um, I went up to her and spoke with her briefly and, and she told me a bit about the pageant. And I didn't really, you know, didn't really process it because it was sort of busy there and it was kind of noisy. And then I ran into her again um, here in the States at another senior games event. And we spent quite a bit of time talking and she told me about this um, Miss Senior Universe pageant. And that is, um, it's not a, not a beauty pageant, you know, in, in the traditional sense that, you know, God knows they don't want ladies who are over 60s, you know, <laughs> in a bathing suit and high heels. <laughs> or maybe, you know, some might be uh, happy with doing that, but I, it would not be something in my comfort zone. But it is instead a way to celebrate women who are over 60, who are still actively involved in their communities, they're making a contribution, uh, they're active, they're physically healthy, they're um, 
sort of not accepting the traditional role of women who are 60 plus. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. So I went home and I looked on the website and read about it. And I called the pageant director and he was very funny and gave me a lot of really interesting information. And I thought about it for a couple of months and thought, oh, you know, there's no way. I That's just not something I could do. It sounds like fun, but it's just not, you know, it's not me. But, it, you know, something sort of stuck in my brain. And so I didn't tell my husband and I went ahead and just, you know, applied and um, I was accepted and um, my application was approved. And so I, anyway, I didn't, um, there wasn't a local pageant for me where I could compete and earn a title. So I was through my um, heritage, I'm Italian. And um, this pageant goes by what they call the Olympic standard. Whereas if you have a heritage of a certain country, you can apply and become, you know, the Miss, Miss whatever that is. And um, supposedly they contacted the Italian consulate who looked at my, you know, my family tree and, you know, the fact that my parents came through on Ellis Island and my grandparents and all of that, and um, that I'm indeed of Italian heritage. And so I became Miss Senior Italy Universe. And then I uh, applied for the um, Miss Universe pageant and competed in that um, in the fall of 2019, I guess. Well, yeah, Paul. And um, I was horrible. <laughs> it was um, it was a really, really wonderful experience. I met some extraordinary ladies, you know, one's a mayor and one's an author and, you know, just some very, very talented, um, just tuned in wonderful women. Um, but I've never been, you know, a singer or a dancer. I don't perform. I've always been the one behind the scenes helping other people. I'm writing speeches for them or writing their, you know, um, presentations. And uh, it was it was quite an eye opener for me to have to be out on stage and try and do something. And, and I didn't do well, unfortunately, <laughs> but what, it was still a terrific experience. What was the um, what did you have to compete in? What did that what does that look like? Well, um, since I don't sing or I don't dance and what I do is write, um, I wrote a poem about what it was like to compete in a pageant for the first time. And I had understood that I would be able to just read that. And so I was totally fine with that. It would have been, it was kind of funny. But the right before the pageant started, I was told by somebody else, oh no, you have to know that by heart. And I had not memorized it and it was pretty lengthy. So um, <laughs> I was oh. off behind the curtain, you know, trying desperately to memorize and I, and I was terrified. So I got about a third of the way through and I just, my brain shut down and I just started laughing and I said, you know, senior moment and everybody started laughing, um, but then it didn't come back. <laughs> so I, I sort of oh. muddled through, you know, slunk off the stage, but it was, you know, it was fine. It really, really pushed me out of my comfort zone. It was something I never, ever could have contemplated I'd be doing and I had a blast and I made some great connections and um, I will never uh, regret that I took part in that. And I'm still involved in the organization still. Um, last year at the Miss Senior USA pageant, they crowned me uh, the Miss Senior Games ambassador, which is kind of exciting. And I will wear that crown very proudly. In fact, this evening, I'm going to be uh, in a parade for our county fair uh, with the senior games folks with Kyle and, and his team. And I'll be wearing my sash and crown that says Miss Senior Games Ambassador and waving to everybody. So that'll be really fun. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and you're very lucky to have um, a world right now in Utah that's 
kind of active and you're able to do these events and stuff I feel like we haven't in the UK been able to have an event like that for years um it feels like so long ago um well good luck with that and I'm sure you'll absolutely smash it um and (laughs) so I also I'm really inspired by you right now because you're 78 and you're still doing all of you sorry 68 why did I think 70? Because you're turning <laughs> 70. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 68 and you're... <laughs> definitely, definitely. And for the listeners out there, um, you can definitely tell that Marianne is um, much younger than 78. <laughs> um, but I like <laughs> the fact that you um, tried something brand new that probably terrified you um and the mature movers podcast is all about promoting uh, positive aging and removing mm-hmm. those stigmas around what somebody over 60 looks like or what somebody over 60 does and um i think still um there's this huge idea and um kind of exception that as soon as you turn 50 or 60 that's it you're retired you're slow you're um, probably got a few health conditions that make you less able um, and that's not necessarily true um, and I do think that society and marketing campaigns and the pressure that that people put on us make us think that that's okay to do and and to live like that um, but you're a perfect example of somebody who's gone against against those ideologies and has said actually no f this I'm gonna go and do whatever I want I'm gonna live my best life throughout my life and I'm not gonna turn 60 and that's gonna be it um so you um you mentioned uh to me while we were talk before we got onto the podcast um that the pageant was uh all about promoting um past your 50s 60s and not giving up um and why what do you think that's um something that somebody's taught you or do you think that's something that's come from within you to to have that approach to life um I think maybe all of the above I think um my mother was uh, very much well it's interesting she had this dichotomy going she she was kind of matronly that, that was kind of her 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 generation was you know they got the hair done and didn't move you know for a week because they'd slip with the hair net on it and all that kind of stuff um but she she always thought of herself and she was a very very glamorous woman and and she liked all that kind of girly stuff up to the day that she passed away and um so she was all about always you know um sort of maximizing her femininity, even though she was very, very, she was a writer, as I mentioned, she was a very accomplished woman, um, but she, she liked both sides of, you know, of, of the coin. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think my association with the senior games has been a real driver for me to, I never ever would have thought about being in the pageant had I not been part of, been part of the senior games, because the first year that I, arrived at the senior games, I was terrified. I mean, it was it was remarkable to walk into this huge, huge convention hall and see 12,000 happy, healthy, fit people my age and think, oh my heavens, I've I've fallen to this parallel universe. It's amazing. You know, who are all these people? They're so happy. It's because they're so healthy, you know, and they're still out there doing it. And so that 
instantly I fell in love with the whole idea of, of being a participant. And so having been part of that for, um, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, that I think was another reason why I thought, well, why not do the pageant? That's also about celebrating life after a certain age and not giving up and being fit and being healthy and making a contribution, giving back to your community, um, not just staying home in the Barca lounger with your remote control doing this, you know, and, and, and giving up. So um, all those things have sort of all worked together to, to keep me out there for as long as I can do it. <laughs> as long as I have something that can be of service to somebody else, I want to keep uh, contributing. Well, keep doing you because it's very, very inspiring. Um, I wanted to move on to your interest in the arts and um, creativity. And obviously being a journalist, you have to be creative. You have to, uh, I think that you are kind of classified from my point of view, from somebody who's not within that industry. Journalism is cre a creative art. And um, what are you doing now in that, space to maintain and engage within the creative and the art industries. I'm actually involved in a number of, of programs here in Utah, as I was in California before I moved here. <clears throat> um, I'm just wrapping up my term as the chair of the board of directors of a foundation called the Art Around the Corner Group. And uh, our mission is to um, really enhance the quality of life in St. George, Utah, where we live by installing public art. And our organization is about 17 years old. And in that time, we've installed hundreds and hundreds of pieces of, of large sculpture around the downtown area. And we've sold um, nearly a million dollars worth of those pieces, which is lovely. So the way it works is that the artists um, submit a proposal to us saying, I'd like to install this piece next year. Here are some photographs, here are the materials, that kind of thing. Then our group gets together and determines which ones we'd like to accept. And it's typically about 30 or so pieces per, per collection each year. And then the artists agree to loan those to us for a year. And of course, the hope is that somebody will you know, want to purchase those, either a, a corporation or a, um, a private collector or, or perhaps the city of St. George, which actually allocates a certain amount of money every year to purchase uh, a certain number of pieces, which is lovely. Uh, so I've been involved in that for um, probably about six years. I've also um, been a member of the Arts Commission here in St. George, which is a um, a part of the city government that uh, helps develop policy in terms of the arts and supports all the different arts related groups of which there are many, many, many here. And I did the same uh, in California before we moved. And um, all of that started back in the day. Um, I actually, when I was recovering from my neck surgery, I was, when I was out on those walks every day during my recovery, I found a little uh, post-it note um, outside of a bookstore saying that they were starting some life drawing classes in the area and they were looking for models um, undraped. <laughs> and um, I thought, well, that's really interesting. And that's something I've never done, certainly would never do. And again, it's something that I thought about over and over again for the, a period of, of weeks and weeks. And, and so I finally called the woman who was coordinating the classes and said, you know, I'm, I'm curious what's involved. And she said, well, have you ever drawn you know a, a model before and I said no and she said well you know come to a class and just see how what you think which I thought was great great recommendation great advice and so I did and I thought oh this is so beautiful and and the model has such power and it didn't matter that she was not you know 
you know, classically slender or whatever we think of as being, you know, prototypically beautiful in America. Um, she just had, there was nothing that she did that, that, that looked, you know, didn't look fabulous and didn't look beautiful. And the artists were so grateful and, and she was, she was so inspiring. So I went to a couple of classes and thought, well, again, maybe that's something I could do. And I know this sounds insane, but um, I signed up to do it. And um, then went into a complete freak out mode. <laughs> and, you know, after like a week before the classes, I was thinking, oh my God, I'm a good Catholic girl. What am I doing? This is just insane. But I um, did invite, uh, I had three, three male friends who are artists and, and I invited them to come to the class and draw because I figured, well, at least I will have a sympathetic, you know, friend there. And um, one of them drove me because I still wasn't driving because of my neck surgery. And um, I was completely terrified up to the very last moment when I took off my robe and everybody kind of went, oh, that's beautiful. And they started sketching and drawing and they're, they're so focused on getting that shadow across your, your chin or, you know, the hollow in your arm or something that nobody even thinks twice about whether or not you have, you know, large breasts or, or big rear or whatever, you know, and um, it's just, you control that whole dynamic and, and those, the give and take between an artist and model is a very, very special, intimate kind of connection that it's really hard to convey if you haven't been a part of it before. It is non-sexual. It is certainly sensual, I guess, in that the female form is is really beautiful and sensual of its of itself in every every single shape and incarnation. Um, anyway, it was a, a very, very um, empowering experience immediately, and so I ended up doing that for 25 years actually, uh, until last year. And it's wow. just been, um, it was my, yeah, it was my introduction to the arts and it's made me a, a very, very um, passionate, you know, advocate for the arts for sure. Wow. Well, that's also very, very inspiring because I guess 25 years ago, <laughs> that's still not like, I think a lot of people think you have to be young to start something new or you have to do it when you're like at your peak or your prime um and that's not that's not the way so this is what we're all about we're all about changing those thought processes and those expectations of, of each other um so to kind of coming towards the end of the podcast um i know that you had um some scary news during the covid period um where you found out that you had breast cancer and um obviously a huge shock to anybody that that gets that news um and to kind of finalize and finish the podcast if you could give us a brief um uh, outline as to that whole experience and um please 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 share all the happy moments and all the sad moments throughout that uh that journey sure sure I, I i love to talk about this because i want women to know that it's important to take care of the girls <laughs> as, as kyle said when i talked to him about it on his podcast um i so to briefly summarize i had found a lump in my right breast um so actually it had been a cyst that had been there for years and every year i'd go for my mammogram and my doctor i would be freaked out and my doctor would do a mammogram and they would do an ultrasound and they would say oh it's fine it's just a watery cyst you're okay and then um about a year ago, uh, yeah, a year or so ago, in the fall of 2019, it started, the cyst started feeling harder and then it started feeling sore. And I thought, this just doesn't seem right. This is something wrong. You know, I know my body pretty well. Um, and so <clears throat> around the holidays, I called to see if I could get in for a, um, a mammogram. And I'm on, we're on the Medicare system here in, in the US. And uh, I was told, well, you know, it's, it hasn't been a year yet since your last mammogram, Medicare won't pay for it. You have to wait until 
January. And I probably should have just said, mm, no, I need to get in here and do this. And I should have just paid for it myself. But I sort of thought, well, okay, I can wait. And then I got horrible, horrible flu. Um, after I had been in my first pageant, uh, we all came home with the flu. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't call in January to make the, um, the appointment. So I went in February. And it was pretty clear, even just during the mammogram and the ultrasound, the technician, I could sort of look, see on her face, even though she's supposed to be objective, she was, you know, kind of doing this. And there was a lot of whispering, you know, with her bringing in other doctors and technicians and they were whispering and then everybody put on a bright smile and said, okay, we're going to send you off for a biopsy next week. And, and I sort of knew then that, you know, things were not looking good. So, um, <clears throat> I had the biopsy, I found out the next day in February of last year that I did indeed have uh, early stage breast cancer. And that was the good news. Um, had I not paid attention, it, it might've you know, might have gone sideways, but I uh, had the biopsy, they were able to determine you know, what it was. One month later, I went in and had a lumpectomy and it's only when they do the lumpectomy and, and take the tissue actually out that they can determine what phase it is. They will. Um, they went into my armpit uh, where your sentinel lymph node is. They removed one of those and found out that it was clean. The cancer had not spread to the lymph node, which was the very, very best news of all because it wasn't then going into my system and then becoming stage two. And then um, I was allowed to heal for a month and then I was given um, a course of uh, high dosage radiation treatments. Um, now those typically will take, um, in regular dosage, it will typically take you six weeks of going every single day, five days a week. In my case, my doctor thought for whatever reason that I could uh, withstand the high dose, which is basically a double dose for three weeks. So you get through it faster. It's just, you know, you're getting zapped with more, I guess. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty bizarre. <laughs> it was definitely not something that I thought was going to happen at that point in my life, but um, there was a lot of cancer and, and, and heart disease in my family. My mother died of colon cancer and my brother had lymphoma. Uh, he would passed away when he was 49. Um, so it wasn't such a shock, but it was just like, you know, I really don't have time for this. <laughs> and so, um, but as you said, it was right when COVID hit and everything pretty much had shut down. So you know, why not fight cancer while I'm at it? So that's what I was doing while everybody else was kind of taking a hiatus from, from being around to each other. I was off dealing with my cancer, cancer. And, yeah. and my wonderful, fabulous, adorable husband was there for, has been there for me every step of the way. He took me to every single doctor's appointment. He took me to every single radiation treatment. And after radiation, we would go off and, you know, just go to the store or do something just so I could get my mind off of it. And, and uh, he made sure I ate a lot of stuff to try and keep my calories up because I did tend to lose a little weight. And um, he got me through it. And uh, two weeks after I finished treatments, I did a half marathon just to celebrate. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, getting through cancer and then doing a half marathon. I don't know many people that could do that <laughs> in that in such a close proximity. Um, and I love that you mentioned um, your outfits when you were going to your appointment. So please, please share that because that gives me so much joy. 
<laughs> well, um, <clears throat> I'm kind of known for my sparkly skirts. And um, actually, a lot of my friends just call me Sparkles. So that's my nickname. And I, I love if anything has sequins or rhinestones or glitter, it's coming home with me, basically. So I have uh, probably about a dozen sparkly skirts that I wear when I do races over my running shorts. And um, so I decided that since I was basically running a marathon with this treatment protocol, I would wear a different colored running skirt every day and go in for my treatment. And um, it kind of, you know, livened up things. The technician said, oh God, most people come in here with the same sweats and they're really upset and they look sad. And so I made a deal out of it. And then every day I wrote um, the number of treatments left on my arm. So I could like, okay, I've got 16, I've got 15, I've got 14, however many are left. And, and they all kind of got a kick out of that. And um, then the very, very last day, I decided that it was going to be a celebration. So I put on a, a sequin cocktail dress and my sash and my crown <laughs> and high heels and went in for my last radiation treatment. And that was uh, a fun way to end the whole adventure. And final question, did you think that um, your positive mindset and uh, just your approach to the whole process impacted your recovery? Well, that's what the doctor said. <laughs> that's what my oncologist said. Um, and uh, I, it wasn't that I was taking it lightly or that I wasn't affected by it. I definitely was. And, you know, I, you know, you do your, do your crying in the shower where people can't see you. Right. You know, so um it was, it was pretty hard and it's still, you know, emotional to talk about it yet um, a year later, but uh, I just, it never occurred to me that I wasn't going to live. It never occurred to me. I wasn't going to get through this. And again, you know, I, I have to give this, you know, put a big, big, big asterisk on this. Again, I did have very early stage, somebody who might've waited longer or, or didn't realize that they had, you know, a lump to begin with might have not had the same outcome, but I have, we have tremendous, fantastic healthcare here in, in Utah, especially in St. George, where we have a pretty large um, senior population. So the healthcare is, is ex extraordinary. And um, I just got the very best that there was available to take care of me from everybody. And, and all my friends and family in the community really rally around and, and helped me in ways that I just couldn't have imagined. It was, it was beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey and all your inspiring, amazing uh, events that occurred throughout your life. Um, and to finish off, is there um, any way that anyone can contact you? For example, if this podcast resonates with them or the, the video that they're watching resonates with them um, and they would like to get in touch, is there any way for them to do that? I would love to be receive emails from anybody. That would be terrific. Should I give that to you here? Yes, please. Okay, it would be mlhamilton02 at gmail.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And I we would love to hear from the listeners. Amazing. Well, we will also include that in our captions um, so that it's easy for people to copy and paste if they are uh, drawn um, to contact you. Um, so, again, thank you so much, Marianne. Um, you're a very inspiring lady um and i hope to be as amazing and driven and great at time management as you <laughs> when i have all these activities and, and and goals to achieve um so thank you so much uh for coming on today's podcast